G'day you mob, welcome to this episode of The Goss, right? Every single week I sit down with my dad and I talk about the gossip for the week. What's been going on in the news, what's been going on in the world. Usually Australia, but obviously we touch on everything and anything that might come up in these episodes. So, today is a really good episode. It is chock-a-block full of different expressions as well. We, we, I try and use a lot of expressions when I'm doing these episodes, right? The whole point is to give you guys as much English as possible. But it's also full of heaps and heaps of different news events, news and current affairs events, right? So, this week we've had heaps and heaps of rain along the east coast of Australia. There's been flooding in some places. We also talk about Antarctica logging the hottest temperature on record. Uh, as well as some of the giant icebergs that are being created that are breaking off the Pine Island Glacier at the moment. We get into the National Carp Control Plan. They're trying to control this pest fish in Australia. We also talk about Hosier Lane and how that was painted by some vandals or artists. You know, again, it's up to how you decide to interpret uh, artists and what they do, I guess. We talk about that. And lastly, we talk about Cyclone UC, which is about to collide with Lord Howe Island. So, anyway, guys, let's get into it. Smack that kookaburra on the bum and let's begin. Dad, welcome to this episode of The Goss. What's The Goss? Hey, Pete. Yeah, there's, there's not much happening except we've had fires turn into floods, which is- uh, That was one of the stories- Fairly typical. Keen yeah. in, chatting, keen yeah. in, in chatting about. Yeah. Well, we can start with that, but uh, anything else been going on on your week? You've been smashing out some photography courses, right? Yeah, yeah. Teaching on Wednesday nights. So, how's how's is, that going? That's oh, good fun. Yeah, it's- uh, this course is really just yeah, learning how to use your camera. So it's basic stuff for not so much for beginners, but you know, anything from beginner to um, you know, early, partly serious, who just wants to know how to get the most out of their cameras. That's what I think most people don't realise, right? They, they tend to be, I'm sure the majority of people using cameras are hobbyists. Yeah. And before getting into it, I don't think they slash me when I did it appreciate just how complicated photography can be and how involved it is yeah and look i think one of the challenges is that um everybody's got a camera yeah in their hand all yeah. day every day these days yeah and the cameras in phones these days are really good uh, but people will then go out and spend hundreds to thousands of dollars on what they perceive as being a better camera but they turn it on to auto and mm-hmm. go click and yes, the quality of the lenses is better and the quality of the sensor is better, but they're not going to get much more out of it if all they're doing is just using it as a point and shoot. That's a difficult thing, though, when starting with those hobbies. And you know what I'm like. I get sucked in pretty pretty quickly to things. I mean, I, I have the, I think, the drive and the passion to sort of take it somewhere, at least in the early stages usually. But it's it's hard to not want to just kit yourself out with the best things, of right? Of course, yeah. So, what does your advice tend to be for people who are wanting to take up photography for the first time and obviously buy into the 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 gear mm-hmm. and the the hobby? How do you get started properly, right? Because it is one of those things where it's difficult. You're like, all right, to to get started, I have to buy something, and it's going to be hundreds of dollars. I'm really pumped up right now, so I think I'm probably going to keep doing this. At least I hope I'm going to keep doing this. And so, do I want to buy something again 
yeah. in a year that's going to be twice, three times as expensive? Or do I just do that from the beginning? What is your advice tend to be? Uh, yeah, it's one of those ones. There is no single answer. Um, I get asked a lot. Yeah, People will come up to me and go, oh, you're a photographer. What camera should I buy? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is, to, is that most so-called experts will go give most so-called beginners the advice for everything. And that is, it depends. Yeah. And so- it's, Well, what do you want, right? Yeah. It's really a matter of saying, what style of photography do you want? What's important to you uh, in terms of, is it cost? Uh, are you willing to spend thousands of dollars? Can you afford to Can spend, afford thousands, to spend of thousands of dollars? Um, are you really interested? What style of photography do you? If you're interested in travel photography and you really want something that you can put in your pocket or your handbag or a, a day pack that you're going to be traveling around in, or do you want a bunch, two cameras, five lenses and a bunch of accessories, put it in a mm. backpack and carry that around? Uh, and so the answer of what type of camera or what type of kit is really going to depend on the answers to those as much as anything else. The good thing about photography today, digital photography today, is that all of the major brands produce really good cameras. Yeah. And they produce good cameras even at the low end. So uh, you pretty much can't go wrong. End. So you pretty much can't go wrong. There are some traps in terms of if you want to buy something that you can then extend and add accessories to, add new lenses to, and so on. If you're buying into a camera system that is using a sensor that is smaller and you buy lenses that are dedicated to that smaller sensor, then you can't necessarily use those lenses as easily on a full-frame camera if yeah. you want to upgrade to that. But often going to a full-frame camera isn't required these days because the so-called APS-C cameras or micro four-thirds cameras are so good that for the majority of people, that's all they're ever going to need. Especially if you, yeah, you're just taking photos of your family, of, of yeah. you know, tourism, of yeah, exactly. whatever it is. You're yeah. not doing some serious stuff, but... Yeah, it is. It is hard to not get sucked into it. I miss doing it. I, it's one of those things you you appreciate so much more the older you get, especially after having a child. How much your days are limited in terms of exactly. time. Exactly. Like yeah. I would love to do so much in terms of hobbies, like jujitsu, go to the gym, um, photography, skateboarding, surfing, travel. But you realize, fuck, I'm just <laughs> I can't do it. I can't hey, do yeah, one family of those first things. is yeah. really what it amounts to, and that's look. Uh, but then you do things. You know, eventually, you get to the point where you and I have d gone out and done bird photography together, yeah. and so on. So eventually, that sort of starts to happen. But when, I'm not saying it's going to happen. You got to wait 30 years for it to happen. But. I think I think that's sort of my life. It tends to be um, getting the the a big percentage of skill done in a specific area in the first portion of time. So, like, you know, the first 20 hours or whatever, you just dedicate to this thing and you get really good returns. But then after that, it's a slow grind to, mm. to keep improving. And I so I'm sort of very... You know what I'm like. I like switching between things because I yes. think I'm addicted to that initial stage. You're of addicted just getting... to that learning. Yeah. And, that, and it's an adrenaline rush when yeah. when you put a bit of effort in and you, you get, get a really good result. Yeah, 100%. Um, but then, as with anything, the better you get, the smaller the improvement is yeah. going to be for the same amount of effort. When it's uh, the same with so... you guys learning English, you know, a lot of the time people ask me, what do I do once I get to the intermediate plateau? And it's kind of like, keep going. Yeah. Like, find ways to be motivated. So, I think it'll be the same with photography mm. or surfing or skating. If you get to the stage where you're good and you're like, but I feel like I'm not improving, it's kind of like, well, 
what are you trying to improve at and how mm-hmm. do you motivate yourself or discipline yourself or spark that, you know, interest to just keep pushing where and, and develop habits where it's just a daily thing, right? So, yeah, you yeah. know, with so, camera yes, and carrying some around. Some of it is. Every, yeah, it. it almost amounts to it, no matter what you want to do. Yeah. Um, practice, practice, practice. The 3P rule um, yeah. is what counts. But if, you know, when I was a child and starting to learn to play tennis, the way I started to learn to play tennis was just by hitting a wall, a ball into a brick wall. Hitting a wall with a ball. Hitting a wall with a ball, ball, yeah. yeah. Occasionally, (laughs) if I was good enough to get it there. Uh, But you eventually get to the point where you're not going to get much better by doing that. And after all, playing tennis is not about hitting a ball into a wall. It's about playing on a court with somebody at the other end. And so you have to start to practice different sorts of skills in different ways. And it's the same thing, I suspect, with language learning, that if all you're doing is going through vocab all the time and practicing a bit of grammar, eventually you get to the point where, A, that's tedious, and B, you've reached that intermediate plateau, as you say, and you've got to change the things you do. You've got to do more conversation. Uh, you got to do uh, reading more complex uh, books or well, not just that, papers but, but and focusing on the stuff you're going to be so using more often than not, right? Yes. It doesn't necessarily help you to be learning engineering vocab if mm-hmm. you're not an engineer and instead you're a surfer right. who wants to speak Spanish or something. Yes. So, you have to work out where do I get the most out of my time mm. and also what do I enjoy and sort of get those two things to overlap and, you know, realize you're not going to be the best at everything. Like with photography, yeah. I got really into the bird photography like you or the wildlife stuff. And so, my landscape photography probably sucks if it exists <laughs> at all because I just don't practice that thing. Yeah. And it's it's different. Yeah. And yeah, it's the same thing. If you, um, I mean, we've talked about it before. I learned French at school. I can probably speak enough French to last for 40 seconds in a conversation with someone before I run out of things to say, but I can still understand it. I can read it and I can understand what people are saying Mm. at a very low level. Um, But unless you're going to go in and practice it and do that over and over again, uh, there's no point in me being able to read French if I want to travel in France and talk to people. Yeah, I'll be able to. Yes, I'll be able to read street signs and so on. And I'll find my way around. But yeah. if I can't speak to anybody, then yeah, that's another thing that I have to practice. Yeah, I guess it just comes back to making sure you're motivated, or your motivations are in the right place, or that you you know you're finding the things you're interested mm. in and using, using. I guess yeah, following the the pursuit of those those interests and developing your skills at the same time in whatever it is. Yeah, and look, the thing that I talk about a lot when I, with the students when we're looking at how to learn to use your camera is take risks. Yeah. Do the things that you currently find hard. There's no point in practicing things that you find easy. Yeah. It's seductive to do that because you get better results instantly, but turn everything to manual and yeah. struggle. Yeah, and then work out what the various buttons and settings and menus and those sort of things and I think do. Repeat things, right? Too. Yeah. I kept going to this that place in Queenscliff, taking the same photos of of seagulls. The gulls on the on the uh, yeah. sandy shore. Yeah, just because it was it was hard to get a good photo of something so boring. Mm. But by going there every single time and focusing on the same animals, the same location, and you could kind of. It, you, you had to think creatively about how mm-hmm. to make it look interesting and look, make it look nice. And you get you got to try the same shots many, many times in yes. different light yeah. with different animals and you got to know the location. And so, I think it was much better to try and 
focus on one spot and going there repeatedly. I probably went there like 30 times mm. in, you know, several months than to try and go to a new spot every single time yeah, because yeah. my school, at least in terms of taking photos of seagulls on that beach, got <laughs> yeah, pretty good. It did. But <laughs> but what you're learning is, and you know, I used to, when I was a high school teacher and teaching um, year 12 students, in fact, any students, but particularly year 12 students that they're at, at the pointy end of their high school education, um, I used to teach them the, the one-minute self-interview at the end yeah. of every class. Yeah. What did I learn today? What did I not understand? And what do I want to do before next time? Yeah. So that you're always reviewing and going back and saying, that was great. I had a good experience today and not stopping there by saying, how do I improve what I'm doing? What's the next risk I need to take? What's the next thing that I need to investigate? What do I need to practice more in order to get better at it? And it's the same thing if you take a photograph and you look at it and you go, well, that's cool. That's the best photograph I'm ever going to take. Congratulations. Enter it in in a competition. But most people are going to take a photograph, particularly early on as hobbyists, and they're going to say, I don't like this. It's not as good mm. as I wanted it to be. So think about why it isn't what you wanted it to be. Reflective and what, practice. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. what you have to do to improve. Yeah. And even if you don't know, trial and error. Go out and change a bunch of things. Yeah. Now, some of that is harder to translate into language learning. Well, because I don't think you- it is because it means just have the same conversations, for example, yeah, or write about yeah. the same things. Like, try telling people about what you do for work or what you're passionate mm-hmm. about and have that conversation with many different people and you'll find that you develop your skills in that, yeah. you know, even if you're not looking up new vocab, you're going to create connections and mm. the way that you think about it and talk about it and it comes out effortlessly in the end. Yeah, or try a couple of simple sentences and then add to it. Yeah. You know, I'm going for a walk to the beach. Yeah. Then you can practice that and practice that and practice that. But that's not going to come up in conversation very much. Or even if it does, Unless you live people, at the beach. Are, yeah, <laughs> people are then going to say, oh, then what? So I'm going, to, I'm going for a walk to the beach. Why am I going to the beach? How am I going to get yeah. to the beach? What am I going to do when I get there? And so you can start to do that in context rather yeah. than just making up random conversation or just talking to people and they look at you and go, what are you talking about? Have something to say and practice that. Well, that's that. one of those things that I talk about in terms of growing your islands. You should create islands of the things that define your life, whether it's family, work, hobbies, all of those things, and flesh those out Mm. first and foremost before you start worrying about really abstract vocab or subjects. You know, get those big islands of um, language sorted out. Yeah. And dealt yeah. with so that you can switch between them and feel comfortable and then sort of, you know, go out into the smaller ones and yeah. develop those as yeah. well. And that's anyway. very similar to the, the skills that I'm teaching people in using a camera. And I remember talking to a, uh, an AFL footballer years ago um, and asking him how he got so good with eye-hand coordination with yeah. an oval ball. And he said, I had a ball in my hand from the age of five until the age of 20. Everywhere I went, I had a ball and I was just throwing it hand to hand. I was bouncing it. I was dropping it on the ground and picking it up. It seems to be something basketball always do. And yeah, you watch kids playing basketball in the street or in the school yard. Skateboarders. Skateboarders. They've always got one with them. Don't so, often see it with tennis players. No, well, yeah, well, tennis. Uh, funnily enough, I've seen tennis players who walk around with a, a, know, a tennis racket and a ball and just bounce, and it. they're just bouncing the ball off the racket. Sometimes yeah. off the string, sometimes off mm-hmm. the edge of the racket. Sometimes I flip it to go and hit it off the handle, and that's just practicing the not the specific skills of the game, but yeah. it's just in the case of the camera. It's a lot. Just have the camera in your hand, and so you're mm. you're doing things. This is getting a bit way off the topic well, of the maybe, news, but maybe, maybe it's about avoid, muscle memory. Yeah. And it's about automating things. And with <laughs> language, it's you start to learn phrases, and the phrase comes up mm-hmm. rather than how do I construct a sentence by word by word and then grammatically put it together. You just learn 
the, the phrasing and the clauses that make sense. Before we get into the news, why do you think it is you've never learned a language to fluency? Um, Unless you've done it without me knowing. No, I haven't done it. Any, yeah, well, I, I learnt. I did two languages at school, and that's forty-five years ago. Um, and I learnt enough conversational Spanish to last me for a four-week holiday in South America. Um, and most of it, it was. It's just motivation. There's. But I'm, I guess I'm reason, asking you. You've got to have a reason to do it. I'm, I guess I'm asking you and this from your personal perspective, but also as an Australian. Yeah. Because it tends to be a pattern that we see here with quote unquote European Australians. Yes. Not learning foreign languages. Yeah. And I think that is, it comes down to, there has to be a reason to do it. Yeah. And the case of me learning Spanish was because we were going on a holiday in South yeah. America. And so, and it was very low level conversational, literally, you know, ordering food in a restaurant or asking directions or, you know, having a, you know, hello, how are you sort of conversation. Um, but the motivation to do that was to enhance the quality of the holiday that we yeah. were having. For most Australians, there's no reason to learn another language because 99% of the people that they are going to encounter and want to have meaningful engagement with speak English as their first language. And even if they don't, they probably speak English better than you'll ever speak their language. Exactly right. Yeah. So I think there needs to be those triggers and the motivation. So if you're going to travel to a country that has you know, got a different language, um, if you want to do business in a different country, uh, you know, those sorts of things I think are going to be uh, the triggers and then yeah. that adds to the motivation to do it. All right, getting into the news. Then. News. So, what's yeah. been happening? We've had shitloads, bucket loads, um, of, loads. Of, of, <laughs> of rain. Yeah, it's been um, raining cats and dogs. Yeah, that's an interesting expression, isn't it? I have no idea where that one comes from. You don't know? No. I did no. that on the podcast. Oh, did you? Yeah. So, what happened well, was- that's, Here you go. There's a confession. I didn't yeah. watch that podcast. Well, listen to it. Yeah, listen to it. What happens is, apparently, and I don't know if it's a definite, you know, we've studied this and it's definitely the case, but apparently what would happen is that um, back in- in Britain, it would rain a lot in the 15, 16, 1700s up until today. But around that time, every time it would rain, especially, you know, a lot, the streets would fill with water and dead cats and dogs would flow oh, down the street yeah. as a result. And mm -hmm. so, I think the joke was that it rained so much, dead cats and dogs fell from yes, the sky, but right. they were already in the street. Yeah. Because there was obviously, you know, it was much filthier. There was shit mm. in the street from horses, dead animals, probably dead people. Yeah. Uh, especially if you were around the time of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> or the plague. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, apparently that's where it comes from. Right. That's the hypothesis. Yeah. Oh, well, you learn something every day. I know. Yeah. We should do this more often. Um, yeah, it certainly has been raining a lot, whether there are dead cats and dogs floating down the streets or not. But um, it is one of those things that um, out-of-season heavy rain... Um, is not rare in Australia. We do get a lot of summer rain. Obviously, the further north you go, the more tropical you are. That yeah. is the wet season. We don't have summer and winter in northern Australia. Like most tropical areas, we have a wet season and a dry season. Where does that kind of be begin? Is that the Tropic of Capricorn once you go past yeah, that? Yeah, well, yeah, a little bit south of there, even if you go to Brisbane, to Queensland. Brisbane they they the have more of a corner, wet season, dry season. They have season. more of a sort of, well, they... Up until probably five or ten years ago, they used to have more rain in what we would call summer mm. than that than winter. Uh, but it's been so dry there in southern yeah. Queensland. But there's still a lot of rain in the north in the tropics. Yeah. Um, and obviously, our summer, particularly late summer, is our cyclone season or the hurricane season, as it would be called in North America. Or uh, typhoon season. Typhoon season in Asia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or the monsoon season in Southern Asia. So, mm -hmm. it's all the same thing. It's just that seasonal heavy rain, heavy winds, yep. um, extreme weather. Um, but, yeah, every 
five, 10, 15 years, we'll have uh, at least one major storm. Yeah. But this one has been ridiculous. It's uh, been pretty big too, It's been right? big. It's all the way from, what is it, southeast Queensland? Southeast Queensland. All the way down to the border of Victoria. Down to the, yeah, southern New South Wales. You which, look at the weather map, it, the radar map of all the rain, and it's just like one this continuous- huge band of <laughs> storm. <laughs> storm. And it sat there for two or three days. Yeah. It didn't move across from is, the west to the this east This is one of the biggest quickly. problems we have, right, is that- well, quite often we're in drought, and then when it breaks, it's all of a sudden and we get bucket loads. it breaks hard. Yeah. yeah, and so the problem is that it's not sustained, right? You don't have a lot of rain over a long period of time in these um, mm-hmm. these periods. So, you might think, you might see the numbers and be like, holy crap, we've had hundreds of millimetres of rain, you know, tens of centimetres of rain just in a week. But the problem is that that's not anywhere near as good as the same amount of rain, but over less frequently over yeah. a month because yeah. then it keeps the place wet, right? This comes and goes really quickly and just yeah. flows into and the it ocean. And doesn't, it doesn't sit in the yeah. soil It just it, because the soil gets saturated and then yeah. what happens is that it actually washes a lot of the soil away. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to the problem of having fires in, uh, particularly in non-forested areas, you know, yeah. brush fires and grass fires, is that they're killing off the plants that are binding the soil together. Mm-hmm. And then we have these huge dust storms, as we had during the uh, the fire season that we had. Um, and then as soon as you get rain, there's nothing holding the soil there, so it yeah. washes the soil away. So environmentally, uh, it's a tragedy as well as it's a one, the two floods, in, uh, floods in, yeah. Yeah, affecting people in um, in built-up areas where people have homes and businesses and farms and so on is bad enough. But when you're losing topsoil, you can't get that back. Not yeah, quickly. It's, no, it's tens of thousands of years to to break down that's uh, the rocks into uh, new soil. Yeah, the craziest thing though, I guess, is that the Nepean Dam, Nepean Dam mm-hmm. in uh, Sydney, is at one hundred percent capacity. So yeah, boom, has filled up and hasn't been for decades. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that tends to be one of the problems we have. We have a lot of these dams dotted throughout at least the east coast of Australia, mm. um, collecting water that we use for drinking water and tap water. But quite often, they tend to get pretty low, right? Especially during these droughts, sometimes yeah. even empty, I think, mm-hmm. from memory in, in Victoria. And um, But yeah, once we get out of the drought, quite often they fill all the way up. Yeah. And if you get more rain, all you can do is release it from the dam. It's just going to come over the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, next story that I had was uh, some of the stuff that's been going on in Antarctica. So, we had the hottest day on record. Hottest recorded temperature yeah, ever. Registered. 65 Fahrenheit. Yeah. 22 and a half degrees. Was it? No, it was 18.3 Celsius at Esperanza. Argentina's meteorological agency mm. did that down in um, Antarctica. And we smashed the previous record, which was almost a degree lower, 17.5 Celsius in 2015. So, it's just going up yeah, and up. I know. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't imagine wearing a T-shirt in Antarctica. No. That was what no, I thought. I'm like, I go no. outside when it's 18 degrees with a T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Like, what? <laughs> And I guess beyond that, um, there's been a massive glacier shedding event mm. that I saw on the Pine Island Glacier, which is, uh, it's on that, um, what would you call it? The part that juts out from Antarctica that looks yeah, like the, a tentacle. The Antarctic of, Peninsula. Yeah, yeah. So, it's 300 square kilometers. Yeah. And it's just broken off in so the last we now few have days. This, the biggest iceberg ever recorded. I don't think. know about biggest ever. Yeah. There's one that's been uh, eleven thousand square kilometers that uh, came off in two thousand uh, off the Ross Ice Shelf. But why is this a bad, a bad thing, Dad? Seeing more of these um, large glaciers. Well, there's off the-, the. Firstly, there's the, and this is the. The original problem that was identified with um, climate change and global warming yeah. was sea level rising. 
and that was partly about expansion of water, but also about melting of ice, she- ice sorry, ice sheets. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say ice sheets, it's glaciers. not just the stuff over the top of the water, right? It's over no, the it's entire glaciers continent. over the over the continent and glaciers over Greenland and um, over the sea in the Arctic, because mm. of course there's you know. There's no land over the North Pole. And hasn't uh, that just started melting entirely it has. Yeah, during yeah, summer? Yeah, so we're, we're losing lots of ice. Now, obviously, from a generic point of view, you'd look at that and go, well, does it really matter if we get a bunch of ice that breaks off a glacier and floats out to sea? In a place where no um, one lives. In a place where yeah. nobody lives. Or no and, animals really yeah, The live. effect of that is probably not going to be huge in a in global environmental context, but it's the indicator of what's why it's happening that is the problem. And, and also the cascading effect, right? Because yeah. those ice caps actually reflect a shitload of light. They do. Which prevents the Earth from heating up more and yes. so if all of a sudden you were to get rid of the ice on Greenland and Antarctica, you would have land that would then absorb, absorb light more heat and, and more it heat. Would get, yeah. yeah, it would heat up even more. That probably won't happen for thousands of years, at least. Uh, I think, according to scientists, it'll be you know five thousand years before mm. Antarctica completely melts at the rate that it's melting currently. But if it were, there are these two videos that I watched on uh, YouTube by a guy. I've forgotten his name, but he did these two videos. I'll try and remember to link them. Uh, what if Greenland melted and what if Antarctica melted? And it was a really interesting one showing the, f- the effects of what that would do to the rest of the world. Mm. But what blew my mind was, you know, we think of Greenland as being fucking massive, although maps tend to over-exaggerate yes. a ton. Yes, well, the, the rectangular. <laughs> G'day, mate. That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again... Thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace.